All right, I want you to take a moment, and I want you to, just if you could, imagine with me for just a moment that you are living back in the days of Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ was doing ministry here on this earth. And you're living in the region of, of Galilee, and, and you hear that Jesus has come to your area. And the word is, is that he is going from town to town, and he is saying something completely different than any other rabbi has ever preached before. Certainly anything different than any politician has ever said before. And he's healing people. I mean, he's casting demons out of people. People that you've known since birth who have never been able to walk before. They're, they're, they're being able to stand up and actually walk and run because Jesus is healing them. And, and it's just amazing. And people that you know are, are leaving and they're following Jesus. And so you decide, I'm, I'm going to tag along and see what's going on. And so you begin to follow Jesus, and you're, you're watching him and you're, as he's healing people. You're listening to him as he's saying things. And again, you're just going, wait a minute, this is different than anything else I'm hearing. This actually is pushing against everything else that I'm hearing. From the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, the teachers of the law, I mean, like, what in the world? What's this guy all about? But yet he's performing things that only a God could do, these miracles, and so finally you end up on a hillside. There's thousands of people around and Jesus stands up on a rock and, and he begins to preach what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. It is the first actual recorded sermon that we have that Jesus preached. And you're listening and, and, and behind you is, in the backdrop is the Sea of Galilee, which is really a big lake. And around the, the Sea of Galilee are, are little cities. And maybe one of those cities is a city that you actually live in. And Jesus starts preaching, and he begins to say some things that are really different. Again, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Really? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Wait a minute, Jesus. We're being persecuted by the Romans. Blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then finally, Jesus says something that just kind of blows your mind. He says this. You are the light of the world. A city on a hillside cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but they instead they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now imagine again being back at that time and hearing these words and going, I'm not even sure I understand everything he's saying, but my goodness, this is so different. Now I want to focus the most of our time, if we could, this morning on the very first statement that Jesus makes in verse 14. Here's what he says. You are the light of the world. Now last week we talked about the fact that Jesus actually called himself the light of the world. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. So how in the world could he call himself the light of the world and then all of a sudden turn around and call us the light of the world? I mean, Brian, we need a little bit of clarity here because there's a little confusion going on. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am the true light and you are my reflections. I am the sun and you are the moons. Now let me tell you what that means. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have been given influence. 
we've actually been given a tremendous responsibility to reflect the light of Jesus Christ to the rest of the world, to our community, to our country, and to the world. Now, since Jesus is in heaven sitting next to God the Father and the Holy Spirit is actually here on earth living inside true followers of Jesus, here's what God has chosen to do. God has chosen to shed his light into the darkness of this world through us. Through us, those of us that have received his light through Jesus Christ. Now, last week I talked about a little bit about the darkness and, I, and the darkness that, that, we, that we live in. And I laid out some statistics that actually stated that more than 75% of our nation right now are living in spiritual darkness. And even greater percentage of people in our world are living in spiritual darkness. Now, since most of those people probably are never ever going to actually pick up a Bible, and about three billion of our world don't even have access to the Word of God, then how in the world are people ever going to know anything about who God is and what Jesus is all about? I mean, it almost, that almost seems insurmountable. How in the world are all these people ever going to truly see what Jesus is all about and really understand God the Father? It's us. That's the plan. We are his reflections. For most people, all they will ever know about Jesus all they will ever know about God the Father is what they see in our lives. Now, that's pretty heavy, isn't it? I mean, think about that for a moment. That's our influence. That's our responsibility. And, and I want you to know that Jesus didn't ask a question, hey, would y'all be my lights? As if Jesus from, was from Georgia. Would you, w- would you consider shining your light every once in a while? No, he didn't say that. He said, you are my light. You are actually the light of the world. Now, I think that that statement creates a lot of questions that all of us have to wrestle with this morning. And I'm going to ask you to wrestle with these questions. First of all, are you shining your light? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a Christian, you've been born again, you have received God's free gift of salvation, are you shining your light? The second thing is, what is your light saying about who Jesus is and what God is all about? And then the third thing is this. Is your life, is your light helping to draw people towards Jesus Christ or is it pushing them away? Now again, most of the world, for most of the world, your life is the only thing that people are going to ever know about Jesus or about God the Father. And again, that's a crazy amount of influence that's a serious responsibility. Now, some of you may be thinking this morning, I, I can't pull that off. My goodness, Brian, I, I'm, I'm struggling just to keep my marriage together. How in the world can I be the light of the world? I'm just trying to figure out how to raise my kids. They're driving me crazy. I, I just, I just want to be a good parent. I mean, some days, to be honest with you, I feel like all I'm doing is managing sin. I feel like a complete failure as a Christian. How in the world can I take on the responsibility of being the light of the world, the light of Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. What is the source of our light? Because we have to, we have to answer that question because it's very important. 
Now, last week we established that Jesus is the true light of God. And in John chapter 8, verse 12, go back to it again. Jesus is saying this. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Now, Jesus said, if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. Now, that's great news. Because you can't be the light of the world without following and being intimately connected to Jesus. Jesus says, when you follow me, you are a follower of me. He says, you will have the light of life. In other words, you will actually be living lights. Now let me get you, give you some even better news. When Jesus was talking to his disciples in John chapter 14, he, he unloaded something on them that they really had a hard time understanding. He said, when I leave here, I'm going to send a helper to you. Someone who is actually going to allow you to do greater things than if I were here with you in the flesh. And that helper is the Holy Spirit. You see, as we follow Jesus closely, we get more of the Holy Spirit. It's called the Holy Spirit's filling. When we come to Christ, we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. As we walk as Christ followers and we lean and we push and we, and we, we follow Jesus more intimately, we actually get more of the Holy Spirit's filling. You cannot be the light of the world without the Holy Spirit filling your life and controlling you. But listen, once you're in tune with the Holy Spirit, watch out. Because the more the Holy Spirit is controlling your life, the greater your light is going to be for Christ. And by the way, the word filling means control. Is the Holy Spirit controlling your life? Have you given control over your life to to the Holy Spirit? Now, that's incredible news. Because here's the deal. You can't produce the light. There's nothing inside of you outside of Christ, that can produce the light that we're talking about here. The Holy Spirit is the one that produces it through you as you continue to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, as you, come, as you become more and more dependent upon him, and you begin to, to give the Holy Spirit more and more of, of control of your life. The more he has over your life, listen, the greater potential you will have to be a strong, potent light for Christ in this dark world. You see, the power comes from following Jesus. The potency of the light comes from letting the Holy Spirit have control of your life. So the source of our light is Jesus. You're not the source. He's the source. And the more that you set your sights, not on the Holy Spirit, the more you set your sights on Jesus, the more he is going to shine his light through you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I love this verse in Psalm chapter 34, verse 5. It says, Those who look to him are radiant. They're radiant. Have you ever met somebody before that when you're just with them, I mean, you feel like you're in the presence of Jesus? I mean, there's just something about them that when you're with them, it's like, my goodness. I mean, it's like they're they're just glowing and shining with with the presence of Christ in their life. President, years ago, President Woodrow Wilson told a story one time about the fact that he, he was sitting in a barber shop getting his hair cut. And in walked this man, just had a real, he was very quiet, had a quiet presence about him, and he sat down next to him in the next chair to get his hair cut. And this, President Wilson had no idea who this guy was. But he said that every word that this man spoke showed a personal interest in the man that was cutting his hair. 
It wasn't about him. He was just, he was interested in everyone that was, else that was in the barbershop. And President Wilson said that, that as the man was talking, he felt like he was attending a powerful evangelistic service. He said that the very presence of this man, when he walked into the barbershop, it completely changed the atmosphere of the barbershop. President Wilson said that he didn't actually, when his hair was cut, he didn't want to leave the barbershop because he was so taken by the impact that this one man had on the room. And then he said once he finally left, once he finally left, he said it was like leaving a powerful place of worship. He said, who was the man? It was a guy by the name of D.L. Moody. Now, we could talk all day long about the accomplishments of D.L. Moody. I mean, he was one of the most influential Christ followers the world has ever seen. But Moody's influence on the world did not come from himself. It came because he gave his entire life over to following Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit empowered his light to be so strong that it, it, it just was a reflection of, the, of just the, the, the radiance of Christ just beamed off of his life in any room that he walked into. He had tremendous influence, and that influence caused thousands and thousands of people to give their lives to Christ. Thousands of thousands of young men and women are in ministry today because of the influence of a guy by the name of D.L. Moody. The word says those who look to him are radiant. Why? Because he is the source of our light. He's the true light, and we are his reflections. He is the sun, and we are his moons. Well, what does Jesus warn us not to do when it comes to our light? Because he continues on talking. He gives a couple warnings. He says, don't hide your light. He says, do not hide your light. Now, as Jesus is mentioning, talking about this, he mentions two sources of light. The first uh, source is a city on a hill. And those who are listening to Jesus would have immediately thought, as they're sitting there listening, they would immediately thought of all of the cities that were built on the hills around the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Now, during the daytime, you might not notice that these cities were actually there, but at night, you could see them from miles around because you can't actually hide a city on a hill because it would, all it would take is, if you put one light in there, it would expose the whole city. It would, it would let you know that there is actually a city there. Then the second light source that Jesus mentions is a lamp. Now, back in Jesus' uh, days, normally, a, a house back at that time had one room which served as kind of a combo dining room, living room. And to one side of the room would be a large chest, and on that chest would be pots and pans and baskets and bowls and things like that. And as evening drew near, the family would then take that large chest and they would move it to the center of the room and it would be used uh, as a table for dinner. And in the middle of the chest, a, a lamp would be lit and it would be placed very carefully on the top and it would be the only light in the whole room, probably in the whole house. And so as a family would gather together for dinner, they would actually have their backs to the darkness and they would face the light so that the light illuminated their faces. They could actually see what they were eating and they could see each other. So the thought, now remember, these people are listening to this. The thought of actually putting a basket over a light would have been absolutely ridiculous to these people because they knew that covering the light would have extinguished every bit of light in the whole house, making it impossible not only to see the people that you're eating with, but to actually be able to move around. And so Jesus says, don't hide your light. 
In other words, don't hide your influence. Don't, don't hide from this incredible responsibility that we have been given to be the light of Christ. It doesn't help you to hide your light, and it certainly doesn't help the rest of the world if you hide your light. Now, as you read these words, you realize that Jesus places a very strong connection on shining our light and good works. Because how we live our lives and how we treat people is how we shine our lives. Therefore, there are two ways that the scripture says that we can hide our light. First one is this, inconsistent living. Now, if you look in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, here's what the apostle Paul writes. He says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Now, this is a very interesting verse. The Bible says, as Christians, we are to live without complaining and arguing. Do not elbow the person next to you right now. And we are to live without purposefully participating in sinful behavior. You go, why? Well, because... The Bible says, for the first reason is, so that no one can legitimately criticize you. Nobody can actually question whether or not you are really a child of God. When we complain about one another, it snuffs out our influence. When we gossip about each other, it kills our unity as a church. When the world sees us arguing with one another, it hurts our witness for Christ. When people who profess to be Christian, Christians blatantly practice sin and live as if they are part of the world instead of following Jesus, it extinguishes their light. And God wants us to live, wants our lives to radiate, radiate the life of Christ but it can't happen if we criticize each other. He wants, he wants the church to be a powerful force, not only in our community, but in our nation, in our world. But it cannot happen if we gossip about each other. It can't happen if we complain. It can't happen if we argue. And it certainly can't happen if we just live like the rest of the world lives. But the Bible says, live like children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Now, the last statement brings up the second way we can hide our light. When there is an indifference towards lost people, we hide our light. Now, it's almost impossible today to, to turn on the, the TV or to pull up an internet web, uh, news website or even to get on social media without seeing or hearing a debate going on right now in our nation about how we should be handling Muslims in America. And over the past few weeks, I mean, it's actually become a huge topic amongst those who are running for president on both sides, whether it's Democrat or Republican. Now, you know, with the, the possibility of Syrian refugees, which some are already coming into our country, but with that whole conversation happening right now, you know, we're asking the question, do we allow them to come in? Do we not allow them to come in? States are arguing over that. You know, and some people now, as a result of the last few weeks, have said, have, until we put an end to Islamic terrorism, do we even allow a Muslim, a Muslim to come into our country at all? And those have actually been the talking points that have been all over the news, and I'm sure that you have heard all of it. Now, listen to me. I'm not going to talk about politics up here this morning. That's not my job. Matter of fact, we're getting re- moving into 2016, which is a political year. I'm moving into a season where I get probably most criticized, okay? 
because people want me to endorse candidates, and I don't do that. That's not my job. My job as a pastor is to make disciples of Jesus. Matter of fact, it's part of the mission statement of our church. We want to lead people on a life-changing journey to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Now, a disciple means that you are on a journey to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that I have noticed in this conversation about Muslims is the amount of Christians that are spewing hatred towards Muslims. People of Muslim descent who follow the religion of Islam. Now again, I'm not going to get into foreign policy or politics here. I'm going to actually stay right with the Bible. Matter of fact, I'm going to even drill in a little closer. I'm going to stick with the red letters. Now if you have a Bible with red letters in it, I want you to know that those words in red letters are the actual spoken words of Jesus. Now, an expert of the law back in the day, Jesus was walking the earth, asked Jesus a question. He was trying to trick him. And he said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And here's how Jesus replied. He said, love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And then he said this. The second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything hangs on those two commands. All the law and the prophets. They all hang on those two commands. Here's another way to say what Jesus just said. We are to love people as ourselves. Yeah, Brian, okay, I hear what you're saying. But do you realize, Brian, that these radical terrorists are almost all Muslims? I mean, these people are our enemies. Back to the red letters. Jesus said, you heard the law law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say... Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Now remember, a disciple of Jesus is a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And wouldn't it be a whole lot easier to be a follower of Jesus if he didn't use that love word? Wouldn't it? Now I want to make this very personal for you for just a moment. Back in 2004, I had a pastor friend of mine asked me if I would go with him to Egypt for about 10 days. And um, I did. I had some family members that did not want me to go, but I just felt like we were not connected in the Middle East anywhere. I had been to Israel before, but I had never really been to a place like Egypt. And so we flew to Cairo, and I was with a bunch of other pastors. And I remember on the second or third day, on the 10th floor of the Hilton Hotel that overlooked the Nile River, overlooked the city of Cairo, I was standing on the balcony of this hotel. And I remember very clearly one of the, call, one of the five calls of the mosque went out where people just begin to, you know, if you've never been to a country like this, people are carrying around their carpets, and their, their rugs, and they, where, wherever they are, if it's in a mall or wherever, once that call goes out from a mosque, people literally unroll their, their carpet and they get on their knees and they begin to pray to Mecca and they do that five times a day. If you've never been around that before, it's, it's a little unsettling. I'm standing on the 10th floor of this Hilton Hotel and I'm listening to the call go out of the mosque and I confess something to the Lord. I said, Lord, if you want Westridge Church or me to work in any country like this, you're gonna have to break my heart for these people because quite honestly, not only do I not like them, I'm afraid of them. And I went through the rest of the week. I mean, it was, uh, 
It, it was, I, I had to wrestle through that the whole, almost the whole time I was there. But I got into almost the last part of our trip, and I went on, back onto that balcony, and I just stood, and I, again, the call goes out from the mosque, and tears are rolling down my face, and I actually repented of my dislike, and I want to say strong dislike, for the people that were below me, for what was going on. And, just, and, and, and I asked God, I, I just, at that moment, God broke my heart for Muslim people. And I, and I, and it, it, I, I came home a different person. I remember trying to tell people about my experience, and they're like, really? Let me just say this to you. If we are going to be followers of Jesus, then we have to learn to love people, including those who we believe to be our enemies. Because if we don't, we will never reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we truly believe that the gospel is the answer to the world's problems, and we actually truly believe that Jesus died for every man, every woman, and every child, then we have to ask God to break our hearts for every lost person, regardless of where they come from or what they're all about. Listen, my friend Bob Roberts says this, nothing perverts the gospel of Jesus and marginalizes the church like hate and mean-spiritedness. And Westridge, I would say that nothing will hide our light more quickly than hate and mean-spiritedness. A hidden light is a useless light. And I know some of you are sitting here thinking, I'm scared to death because, you know, I'll, I'll turn off the TV and pray. Listen, God, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are the light of this world. Jesus, we are it. We are the plan. And we can't, we can't fulfill what God's called us to do if we're wrestling with fear and we're wrestling with hatred and we are mean, mean-spirited. It can't happen. That's the greatest way to push our light right out. But let me take this into your world. How do you feel about your neighbors? How do you feel about the, the person sitting next to you in the cubicle or, or your, the people in, you know, in the ball field and all of a sudden their kid's playing and your kid's not playing? I've been there. Lots of feelings going on inside. <laughs> now listen, when we are indifferent towards people, I don't, if whether Muslims or the person that's sitting next to us at the ball field, listen, we hide our light. Now some of you in here may not like what I just said. I want you to know your beef is not with me. Your beef is with Jesus. Okay? And my job, my job, my calling is to help you to be a follower, a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Now, how are we supposed to do this? How, how are we called to shine our lights? Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. First thing, let your light shine on strategic places and people. Wherever God has put you, let your light shine there. Now, as a church, we've decided to be very strategic about where our light's gonna shine. As many of you know, a few years ago, um, the Lord led us to help start a church in the West End Vine City section of Atlanta. This church, Vertical Church, which is led by Damien and Zarek Boyd. Many, Damien has spoken up here. It's positioned to reach 
the, the historic African-American college campuses in that area, over 10,000 African-American students, and they've done a phenomenal job. In the front door of their church are these five college campuses. In the back door is one of the toughest neighborhoods in downtown Atlanta. This past year, God opened up another door to partner with a new church in the same area of town, but on the south side of I-20. This past summer, because of the what-if experiment, over and above giving, we were able to invest $10,000 into a brand new church called Cornerstone Church. This is the pastor and his wife. This is uh, John Owacheka and his wife, Chandra. Uh, some of you may have heard of, 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 of Trip Lee, the Christian hip-hop artist. He's one of the pastors of this church. They're reaching the south side of I-20 in the southwest part of, again, of downtown Atlanta in the west end off of Ralph Abernathy Boulevard. Some of you are going, I've never been there. They launched in June, and they were already running close to 300 people. I mean, they've seen tons of people come to Christ. Listen, I feel like, we, we, we feel like we've been called to very strategically shine our light and invest in the West End part of Southwest Atlanta. But here's my question for you. How about you? Where has God called you to shine your light? Where do you live? Where, where is God leading you to shine your light? As, as our investment in the country, I talked last week about Boston, and I mentioned that we are beginning a five-year commitment to plant churches in the city of Boston. We've already been part of planting three churches there, and some of you are like, why Boston? Why Yankees? Please, Brian, help me. It's not Muslims I'm struggling with, it's the Yankees I struggle with. Boston is the third most unreached just major city in America, but it's also one of the most influential. When you think about Who comes out of Boston from Harvard and MIT and Boston College and Boston University and Tufts University and Suffolk? These are some of the smartest people in the world, and they are influencing our nation and our world. And we want to plant the gospel, the light of Christ in that very unreached, influential city in our country. We're also, as you know, as it relates to the world, we've been investing in Burkina Faso. Right now, Islam is the predominant religion in Burkina Faso, about over 60%. And since 2009, we've now planted over 40 churches. We've been able to help dig over 450 clean water wells. We've helped build a Christian school, and most of the students that come to that Christian school are being sent from Muslim families, and these kids are coming to Christ. We've now seen, in Burkina Faso, over 5,000 people come to Christ in this little nation. We're getting, ready, we're getting ready to build a vocational training center in another part of the country. Because of the fact that you give, we're getting a chance to shine our light in a very lost part of the world, Northwest Africa, and very specifically Burkina Faso. So where is God calling you to very specifically shine your light? Second thing is this. Let your light shine so that people see Jesus at work in your life. Jesus talks about good works being the, being the connection, being the example of how we let our light shine. Back in 2008, Paul Richardson is our campus lead pastor, campus pastor here. He came up to me with some other folks and he said, listen, we've got this idea to help struggling people in our community with Christmas. And as you remember back at that, that time, I mean, the, the economy tanked in our area. And uh, I really didn't know what we were, exactly what we were getting into, but I gave him my blessing and hope for Christmas was born. And I remember the very first time it happened, I was standing on top of, in the second story, looking over and going, oh my goodness, this is unbelievable. Well, here we are eight years later, and God has allowed and continued to allow our light to shine in this area of our community. 
brighter than it's ever been before. I can't tell you, I mean, walking into our student room yesterday and seeing 1,900 bags of toys, more than 4,000 kids and their families. But I want to tell you something, what I love more than anything, 1,226 of you gave up your day yesterday, gave up your time to serve the people in our community that are struggling right now. You, you took out your light and you said, I'm going to let it shine into your life so that Jesus Christ has an opportunity to plant a seed in your life to become, to receive him to be your personal Lord and Savior. Lights at Westridge, we've now had over 2,100 cars come down our parkway and just sit in front of our building and watch lights dance all over our building to music. And we're praying as people come down that parkway that this very, the presence of this building, the presence of us getting to rub shoulders with people will radiate the light of Christ, that it will just radiate off of our life into their life. We're trying to let our light shine by just letting the community see our good works. And then finally, a third thing. Let your light shine to magnify and reflect God's glory. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, and all of us, all of us have had that veil removed so that we can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him and we reflect his glory even more. Many, many years ago, there was a famous Greek philosopher by the name of Dr. Alexander Papadaris. And he used to teach ethics, an ethics class on the, the a two-week ethics class on the Isle of Crete. And in this particular summer, as he was getting ready to close the class off, they had just spent two weeks together, he said this, he said, now before we go, does anyone have any further questions? And Papadaris waited for just a moment, and all of a sudden, just as he was getting ready to dismiss the class, a student sitting in the back of the room raised his hand, and he asked this question. Dr. Papadaris, I, I want to ask you one question before I go. And he said, okay, go ahead. And he said, what is the meaning of life? And I'm sure all the rest of the students are going, are you serious? Two weeks we've been in, this is, this, you're going to, we're ready to go. And Dr. Papadaris very quickly quieted the group down and he said, listen, you know what? If you don't mind, I'd like to, I'd like to answer that question. He reached into his back pocket, took out his wallet, and in his wallet was a little tiny mirror about the size of a 50 cent piece. The edges had been kind of honed down, but it, it had a sparkle to it. And he told the class, he says, you know what, when I was a young child, I used to have a lot of fun with this little piece of mirror. I would just simply catch a, a glint of, of, of the sun and, and, and I would shine that mirror into otherwise dark places. And as I grew older, I began to learn that this was really no child's toy that I possessed. This was really a metaphor for my life. He said, I am not the light. I'm not even the source of the light. I am simply a broken mirror fragment. But if I allow the sun to shine on my mirror fragment, it's amazing what light I can bring into darkness. And then he said to his class, ladies and gentlemen, that is the meaning of life. You see, every one of us in this room this morning, we're a mirror fragment. We are reflections of the real light, Jesus Christ. We're not the source of the light. We're, we're just simply a collection of broken mere fragments that have come together to allow the true light of Jesus Christ 
to hit our mere fragment and then bounce off into the lives and in the hearts of other people all over the world so that there could be an opportunity for people to receive the true light, true life through Jesus Christ. When Jesus says you are the light of the world, I want you to understand that the word you is plural here. That means, not only means us as a church, but it means you as an individual. You, us, we are the light of the world. You are a reflection of the light of Christ. And we have been commissioned to glorify and magnify Christ to the rest of this lost, dark world that we live in. And what a great opportunity we have right now. It's Christmas. Most of the world is having to focus on the baby in the manger. A lot of people don't want to focus on him. But it is what it is. And we have an opportunity right now as reflections of the light, as broken pieces of mirror to allow the light of Christ to shine, to hit our mirror and to shine our light into darkness. Whatever it looks like, whether it's a group of Muslims, whether it's people in your neighborhood, whether it's people that you go to school with, whatever, a team that you, whatever that looks like, that's what we've been called to do. We're all broken fragments of mirror. And we have an individual responsibility, but we have a responsibility as a church. That's our purpose. That's our meaning, to be reflectors of the light, the living lights of Jesus Christ. I know some of you are walking, I mean, we're in dark days. We don't belong to this kingdom. Some of you are walking around with fear. You need to be filled up with the Holy Spirit and cast fear aside. Fear has no place in your life when you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay? We are here to magnify. We're here to magnify. We're here to glorify the glory of Christ to wherever God has called us to shine his light. You are the light of the world. So as we are into this Christmas season, ask God, Lord, where would you have me to shine my light? What good works would you have me to do so that my light can shine? I want us to bow our heads for just a moment. I want you to ask yourself a question. Am I shining my light? Or am I hiding my light right now? What's my life saying about who I am? What's my life saying about Jesus? What's my life saying about God? What's the reflection saying? And if it's saying something different than what Jesus wants it to say, what God has called you to be, a light, a reflection of Jesus, then right now just say, Lord, help me to get this in perspective. I come to you right now. Lord, I, Father, maybe it's the fact that you've got some sin in your life or maybe you're just indifferent towards lost people. There's just apathy, there's coldness. Man, just put that in front of God right now and ask him to forgive you. Confess it to him. For some of you, maybe there's some true hatred in your heart. Ask God to break your heart right now for the things that break his heart. If you're here today and you've never truly received Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior, I want to give you that opportunity right now. You've never allowed the light of Christ to truly engulf your life. You've never repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior. Would you pray with me right now? Say, Lord Jesus, at this very moment, 
thank you for shining a light into my heart. I receive salvation. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I realize, Lord, that, Father, the only way that I can truly get through this life is to allow you to replace the darkness in my heart with the true light of Christ. And I put all of my faith and all of my trust in Jesus Christ right now to be my personal Lord and Savior. Help me now to know what it means to follow you. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want you to know that over the last three weeks we've had 13 people on these services that have done that and let us know. Take out your Get Connected card, your guest connection card. Take it to the, fill it out, take it to the help center. We're gonna send you some information. Our job now, once you tell us that, is to help you get on a journey to become a follower of Jesus, to become a disciple of Christ. That's what we wanna help you to do. Father, as we walk out of this place, Help us to embrace with joy and excitement and enthusiasm that we are truly the light of the world. Help us not to walk in fear as we walk in darkness, but to realize, Lord, that we are broken fragments of mirror that you've placed on this earth so that we can reflect your glory, we can magnify your presence, and may people truly see Jesus in our lives. And may the whole power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, convict those people to put their faith and trust in you as they walk with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.